Welcome to Deconstructing Yourself, the podcast for metamodern mutants interested in meditation, hardcore dharma, neuroscience, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, awakening, and much more. My name is Michael Taft, your host on the podcast, and in this episode I'm happy to be speaking once again with Shenzhen Young. Shenzhen Young is an American mindfulness teacher and neuroscience research consultant. His systematic approach to categorizing, adapting, and teaching meditation, known as unified mindfulness, has resulted in collaborations with Harvard Medical School, Carnegie Mellon University, and the University of Vermont in the burgeoning field of contemplative neuroscience. And now, without further ado, I give you the episode that I call Meditation and Communication with Shenzhen Young. Shenzhen, I'm so pleased to welcome you back on the show. How's it going? It is fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah, what's been going on? It's good. It's good. What can I say? Well, you know, I don't have any biological children. So what functionally corresponds to that is the life that one can give to others by introducing them to the resources that they can use to enhance their capacity to live. And that's a kind of metaphorical parenting that's very, very fulfilling, especially as you get older, what replaces the grandkids on the knee kind of thing is the kind of experience I had a couple days ago where we completed the unifiedmindfulness.com Juliana's immersion program, this free one-week amazing thing. And she had a teaching staff of almost 90 trained coaches. Wow. And you could just sense how impressed there was, I don't know, two, three hundred people on that program in the talking circle. And you sensed how impressed they were with how good a job these people did. And most of those people that did that great job, I never met. I don't know who they are. But they have been taught to express their own personality, but within the coherence of, you know, our standard techniques and paradigm that we use at the unified system. So, wow, to see how well they can do without any direct whatever mojo from an authority or a putative spiritual whatever, that's just amazing. So that's like hugely fulfilling. And then we're getting a lot of interest in our lab, the SEMA lab at the University of Arizona. That's you and and Jay Sanguinetti. Yeah, me and Dr. Jay Sanguinetti. Well, we're getting some favorable attention. Didn't expect that so soon. It's pretty amazing. And then, you know, what was it, a year and a half ago? I'm bad on dates. I went to China and then I left China. And one week after that, something else left China. COVID. <laughs> you brought it with you, Shenzhen. <laughs> I did not do that. But I really got under the wire a couple more days. And man, I would have been hit with the full force of judicial quarantine at the oh, airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But before the COVID 
situation, the plan was to go back to China in six months because we had done a whirlwind speaking and retreat and presentation tour, which was very well received. So then I couldn't go back, but we just started to run the China programs either from here with me doing it or over the internet there or in person there. And the China team has just taken off and it has grown. It's a bunch of young people, also senior people, but they're very linked. And we are now teaching unified mindfulness. I'm not saying we're influencing the corporate cultures yet, but we've got a foot in the door. In China, we call it kantinkan. We don't call it mindfulness or meditation. We call it see, hear, feel. Kantinkan <laughs> I call unified mindfulness in Chinese the see, hear, feel practice system. That way we skirt a lot of issues. But, of course, we explain the history. That's part of why it works so well in China, because we present it as science-informed. To be honest, we present it as socialist-compatible, socialist-friendly, because we're everyone-friendly. I mean, we're Islamic-friendly, but we're also socialist-friendly. So we present it that way. But because of my background as a uh, scholar of East Asian language and culture, I, of course, show how it links to China's past and the classic texts. And, oh, what, that's what that means. And that's the relevance of what that Tang Dynasty master said that we can apply to this situation in our daily life in China now. You know, it's a really nice fit. And so they've just taken off with it. And we've got a foot in the door with See, Hear, Feel at DT. You just can't imagine the size of these companies. Wow. They're a rideshare platform. You're going to think I misstated the number. They have one half billion subscribers. Whoa. That's one company in China, DT. D-I-D-I. D -I. What do these people subscribe for? To get a cab in China. You oh, want to go anyplace. It's, it's, it's Chinese, Chinese Lyft and Uber. And I think they want to dominate world rideshare. I'm not in business. I don't know. But they're immense. And we're teaching See, Hear, Field. Or not me, but my Chinese team. And Alibaba. I'm sure you've heard of Jack Ma. Oh, sure. Well, that's his company, and we're teaching there. And also, we were very well-received at the Yungu Xueshiao, which is his experimental high school in Hangzhou. I'm pretty sure it's in Hangzhou. And then also Tangxun, which calls itself in English Tencent. Don't let that name fool you. They're the single wealthiest corporation in Asia. Whoa. I think they just own the internet or something like that. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's not right. I'm not that savvy, but huge, huge. I remember I went to one of their subsidiaries. Is it called League of Legend? You know, this is like 100 million kids play this thing around the world, right? Mm. That's one of the 
companies that Tangshun owns, probably a miner's subsidiary. I'd visited their production facility in Southern California. They had tighter security than the Aberdeen testing ground of the U.S. Army, which I've also been to. I had to go through more security to get into <laughs> that game. And then they told me why. It's because disgruntled players mix game and reality and they launch attacks when I was sitting for lunch at the League of Legends, the guy next to me was the head of their security. We started a conversation. That's why I was like surprised. It's like I've never been patted down so many times, you know, or scrutinized. And it turns out this guy's like ex CIA. <laughs> anyway, that's a subsidiary of Tungshun. And when I went to Tungshun itself in China, it's in Shenzhen, the you know, the Silicon Valley of China. I wasn't aware of any security at all. <laughs> oh, you bet there was security, but you wouldn't see it. You wouldn't see it. It was just handled so smoothly, right? And that's the parent company. So we presented there. I mean, it's just immense. And they liked it. And now there's some presence of this science-informed mindfulness at this company. So, you know, I'm seeing things working. And then there's the whole thing of the Zoom retreats now. And that works so well. It's quite a different paradigm, isn't it? So much better yeah. than the on-the-ground retreats. Now, sure, <laughs> we're not going to stop doing on-the-ground retreats. That has its place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if we're talking about reaching the world, the whole world, the global village, most people are not going to be able to leave their home for even a day for this kind of thing. Yep. There's just so many barriers to retreat practice for most people. Well, what COVID has proved to us is we can deliver the goods, meaning the practice that has an impact on your happiness when you're bopping around in the world, that practice, <laughs> I am convinced, is better delivered in general by the internet than by residential programs or personal, we're in the same room talking. I'm not saying we're going to replace those things. But those things are not scalable to hundreds of millions of humans. And we have to affect hundreds of millions of humans. And with this, we can do it. I mean, 300 people just showed up to meditate and had very, very positive experiences. And it could be 3,000, it could be 300,000, and it could be 24-7 in all the time zones and in a half dozen that's all you need, basically. A half dozen languages covers, essentially, the planet now. Mm -hmm. And English covers a lot just by itself, which is the koine, you know. That's how Christianity spread. People spoke Greek or Aramaic, and there was a common language. Now we've got English and we've got the internet. Oh, my God. What opportunities. Having taught a bunch of in-person retreats and some Zoom retreats now, and also been on some Zoom retreats, 
I'm just so blown away by exactly what you're saying, how effective it is and how many of the issues of a normal retreat, an in-person retreat, are mitigated or even eliminated via the Zoom platform. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, like expense. Flying across the country and then having to... I mean, that immersion program cost zero, and it was as good as anything in that domain. It's a whole new world, and everyone's acclimatized to it now, right? People... No, the jury is in. I'm sure, you know, some people, of course, will miss the old days, but... We always emphasized it's about training traits, not about attaining states. So, yeah, it's harder at home, but then you get stronger and you prove to yourself you can do it. So that's been working out. And then there's this whole area that I've recently gotten interested in, which is, well, I like to think that I am informing contemplative practice with the spirit of science, and that the Buddha was perhaps the first person to start that trend. I think he was. I mean, we don't have much historical record. There might have been others, but I see him as a proto-scientist rather than a archetypal figure or a perfect and final prophet of reality. I see him more like the first and so far greatest person to utilize the spirit of science for the full range of human happiness, including the deepest possible levels, happiness independent of conditions. So I've recently been thinking maybe we could do more to train the spirit of science systematically and sort of extend the mindfulness training with that, the idea being that as the result of that, people would, first of all, be able to communicate better with their clients and students. You know, it would help the coaches or if you wanted to talk about the practice to people, you'd be more trained in general communication skills that are characteristic of what makes science work so well. So I started to think, would there be a way to explore an add-on to the mindfulness training, which would be sort of a word power training that would all be done analogous to the mindfulness? In other words, there would be talk of basic skills, there would be techniques, there would be strategies, there would be exercises, and there would be homework assignments. And of course, all of those word power skills would be used in conjunction with the, shall we call them, mind power skills or focus skills that constitute contemplative practice, concentration, clarity, equanimity. So I've been sort of thinking about what that might look like and how that might not only facilitate the more rapid interest in mindfulness, but also address some of the problems that 
are becoming evident. Problems with contention in society where we see obvious distortion of reality and it having pretty negative consequences, democracy itself, both symbolically and substantively, being called into question, its fragility being made evident to the world. Wow, that's scary shit. Absolutely. I mean, I can't think of any issue currently, or it's among the most worrisome issues currently. Lots of stuff to worry about, right? So I started to think, well, let's get real. I don't think I can come up with something that's going to make all that go away quickly. So can I come up with something that is going to help make all that go away with a reasonable amount of time? And I think the answer to that is yes. However, once again, let's get real. What's a reasonable amount of time? Well, we start now. (laughs) So we're not going to wait 100 years. We start now with something that I think could gain enough momentum in 25 to 100 years to pull the bacon out of the fire at the 11th hour for this planet, maybe. So it's just like mindfulness. People that do mindfulness, they come to grips with the fact that it's probably not going to be a quick fix. Right. I mean, sometimes it's quick. You know, people get lucky at the beginning. People get it without practice. You don't even have to meditate to get enlightened. But like one teacher said, enlightenment is an accident. Meditation makes you accident prone. So, uh, you know, we understand it helps from the beginning. It's probably not going to be a quick fix, but it is a deep fix. And if you allocate a certain amount of time and energy to the pillars and accelerators of the practice, at some point in your life, you will get a sense of the deep end of what that pond is. And we can make that as a reasonable claim. So I'm not going to say I know what's going to fix things by the next election, but I have an idea of a force that might begin subtly, (laughs) but eventually within a century, be sufficient to change the direction of human history in the positive way. So I know there's a concern, well, maybe we don't have a century. Well, we have a century. We have plenty of time. What we don't have is a way to avoid rapid change. (laughs) I think that's coming. (laughs) And some of that change may be very rapid and very uncomfortable for certain groups. Yes. And you can talk about fairness, but you can also talk about the way humans behave under pressure. So in my mind, I don't think we're doomed or anything. I just think things could get very crazy with the rapidity and the discomfort 
associated with the changes that we'll go through. I mean, we'll probably get through. I hope that we won't be completely fucked up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if there were catastrophic things, people will probably survive, some people, but are there going to be billions of horrific, tragic stories within just 10 years or 20 years? That's awful. We don't want that. In any event, I think how can we best prepare ourselves for rapid and perhaps uncomfortable change? Well, mindfulness is certainly the way to go. That would do it. And with the way that it's spreading by diffusion, we might get lucky. We might get lucky. That might be enough. Just the information age and diffusion of this better mousetrap, that might do it. But maybe we don't get lucky. So is there anything else we can do to increase our odds of preparing humanity for what looks like, at this point, can't say I know the future, but right now the future looks like rapid and perhaps very uncomfortable change. So how can we best prepare? So I asked myself, well, is there something like mindfulness that is hitherto untapped resource? Think of the people who discovered meditation, how they did that. Someone decided to try something that everyone else thought couldn't be done or shouldn't be done. Someone fasted or they pierced or they exposed themselves to hot or cold. They did crazy stuff that you would normally not do or they sat for hours and hours and hours without moving. The first human beings who explored this, they didn't know it was going to lead somewhere. They didn't have the kind of maps that we have that encourage us and vast teaching <laughs> facilities, you know, faculty, and so forth. People tried stuff, and they discovered if you stuck with certain things, you could make enormous improvements with systematic cultivation. But the first people that did that didn't know that. I mean, William James famously said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, if we could just teach people focus skill, that would be the key to improving all education across the board. But unfortunately, there's no systematic way to teach it. Well, actually, there is. <laughs> the thing is, it was mostly systematized in the cultures of India and China, and then from there, spread to other places. So it's perhaps not as well known, but that was William James 100 years ago. Now, of course, everyone knows, anyone knows that meditation works and how it works, and we can cultivate those skills. So I was thinking, is there something, some crazy thing that we might try that doesn't seem like it should do anything at all, but if we stay with it assiduously and systematically, we discover at some point 
oh my God, wow, didn't know we could do that. So where I'm looking for that is in a place where people have been looking for a long, long time. And many, many people have said very, very useful things in this area. So it's a well-researched human area across cultures. And the it is what we might call effective communication or the power of the word, or the ability to reason and muster evidence. That's another way to describe this core capacity. Well, you can go on the internet and find endless good advice about how to communicate with all sorts of people through all sorts of relationships. And it's pretty good advice, by and large. The philosophers have talked a lot about this kind of stuff in the West, starting with Socrates, the idea of the Alenkus, the Socratic dialogue, the Mayutic approach to education, which is the midwife approach. And then, of course, into all of the dialectical thinking culminating with Hegel, Marx, and so forth. A lot of talk about conversation, dialectic, dialectical. So a lot of human work has gone into this. And as I survey it, it looks good, quite solid. So you say, well, if a lot has gone into it, what possible new angle are you, Shenzhen Young, going to have on this that's going to be an improvement on everything between Socrates and Karl Marx? (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to bring to that table, kid? Well, let's start with telling ain't training. And let's continue with telling ain't training. And if you didn't really hear what I meant by that, let me reiterate, telling ain't training. I don't see training in my sense of the word. And my sense of the word is the kind of training we give people for concentration, clarity, and equanimity that with time has an industrial strength effect on their happiness. So I'm thinking there's a way to patiently, systematically elevate any human being's ability to think clearly and muster evidence effectively through a systematic training in, shall we call it, word power that would be analogous to the focus power, and would cross-potentiate with the mindfulness skills so that the combination of the word power skills, which are really reasoning skills, the combination of those skills with the emotional maturity that mindfulness brings and the creative spontaneity 
that mindfulness brings in its Zen bounce aspect, that creative spontaneity, that auto-speak, auto-think, auto-move, combined with the ability to untangle the inner see-hear-feel of thought and emotion, combined with a long-term patient systematic training in word power as a training for mind power in the sense of mental capacity. So we are elevating both the psycho-spiritual maturity through the mindfulness practice, but we're also actually training intelligence. Specifically, I'm thinking just like we apply the mindfulness to the five domains, relief, fulfillment, insight, mastery, service. Those are sort of the way that we classify the happiness or welfare, well-being goals of this practice. For the focus skills, I was thinking we would train people in applying the word skills in five areas. One would be educational interests. That would be for people in school taking subjects or hating subjects and wanting to know what to do about that, or people just continuing education, whatever. So educational interests, cultural interests, the arts of various sorts, that kind of stuff, cross-cultural stuff, cultural interests, personal, that would be who I am, my story, and then disagreements, and that would be any kind of disagreements, including political, cultural, philosophical disagreement with your significant other, disagreement with your neighbor, disagreement between two countries or two communities, doesn't matter. That would be one of the areas. And then the fifth would be, well, none of the above, (laughs) some other area. And then the idea would be that there would be, in addition to the mindfulness, not separate from it, but you would, at a retreat, learn communication skills, and then there would actually be communication events. See, they had in the last immersion panels where they worked on specific issues. Now, those panels were all about applying mindfulness to the issues. But you can also discuss the issues in a way that's extraordinary in terms of clarity of the story. So the idea would be to train a population, and we'd probably do it, you know, over the internet. It's so easy, it would be worldwide. Train a population in both of these skills. Of course, you can get the training by coming to the programs. And then once you've been trained in both the skills, both the mindfulness and the communication, there'll actually be like programs where someone will do a program on, I don't know, Sino-Indian cross-cultural, or on, here's why I love algebra in the ninth grade, or here's what I would like every liberal to know about Trump supporters, etc. <laughs> I'm not sure, it's going to be a while before we get to that point, 
<laughs> but maybe not that long. Maybe not that long. And the idea would be, who was the Supreme Court justice who famously said of hardcore pornography, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it? Potter Stewart. Potter Stewart. So it's not just for bad things that we know it when we see it. The sound of deep people communicating. You've heard of the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> what is the sound of deep people communicating? And by deep people, I mean primarily people that weren't born deep, but trained themselves to be deep. Ordinary people are now deep people, and the whole world can see, hear, feel the sight, sound, and emotion of, oh, this is how these discussions should be. And the presence of that free, visible, gaining momentum over the next century, combined with two possible deus ex machina, miraculous, happy endings based on technology. Either one or both of these may or may not happen, but we may be able to facilitate this with neuromodulation. Not only the mindfulness part, which we're already somewhat confident we can do, but I wouldn't be surprised if the intellectual clarity part, once we get some idea about how to slowly, systematically train it with techniques, I wouldn't be surprised if we discover some neuroplasticity things we can modulate there too. So neuromodulation may come out as something that speeds the whole thing up. The other thing that I think will definitely happen is AI, artificial intelligence. Now, people fear AI, and they should, but they should also realize that AI can be a great boon to our species. Because once we can systematically train, and it may take me the rest of my life to figure out how to do it, but if we can systematically say to people, hey, come to us and, you know, in a couple years, you will be manifesting the sound of deep people communicating. If we can do that, then we can automate the instruction for the advanced AI that's coming. I know we have apps now. Most of them are not very interactive. I'm talking about a different AI here. I'm talking about the AI that most people think is coming. Like a general AI. It's an AI where you couldn't tell if the interactions we just had for this last hour were with a computer or the actual Shenzhen Yang. That kind of AI is coming. And that kind of AI combined with the ability to outthink human beings, because AI can already outthink us in games, the Go, chess, whatever, but it's going to be able to outthink us in everything. When automobiles first came out, people would try to run with them 
you know, oh, I can run faster than that, you know, clunker. But at some point, people just, no one challenges an automobile to a foot race. The cars just go a lot faster than a horse. So that enhanced ability of computers could be harnessed to facilitate the rationality and mindfulness training so that every human being has for free access to a team 24-7 of ideal personal mindfulness and word power coaches, perhaps from the time they're three years old. Once again, I think people will recognize that this is a better way to go than the echo chambers of rage, terror, and shaming. Wonderful. So the whole idea is to create something in the communication, quote, rationality, if you want to call it that, training domain, which is really the IQ training domain. The idea is to, as much as possible, create a training structure that parallels what we already do with mindfulness in general, and specifically create a training structure that will parallel how unified mindfulness organizes its current training. So what do we do with unified mindfulness? And you'll see the parallels to any other mindfulness program. I'm just going to talk about my system because it's the one I'm most familiar with and there are a lot of resources, but you can generalize what I'm going to say to other organizations and systems. So what we do is we say there are certain core skills, concentration, clarity, equanimity, and there are techniques that you can apply, and you can do them in formal ways and in informal ways. You can do them under simple circumstances. You're sitting for half an hour in the morning by yourself, but you can also do them as you're driving the car or, you know, having lunch with coworkers, what have you. You learn these techniques can be applied in daily life, but they also elevate generic skills. And all of the above has an impact on elevating specific aspects of happiness. So the idea would be that we're now going to talk about word power. The mindfulness is about focus power and does many things, relief, fulfillment, insight, mastery, service, or another way to put it, at the two extremes, mindfulness will allow you to grow up, in other words, to become emotionally super mature. Growing up, which is starting the maturation process again, <laughs> so that you become, in some ways, a super adult, you grow up, you become emotionally very mature. On the other hand, you also sort of go back to the magic of childhood, the world where things just happened, <laughs> both in the senses and in your responses to them. You get to go back to that dynamic spontaneity 
but now harnessed to adult creativity. That's the Zen bounce or sort of going back <laughs> to a kind of primordial perfection and now retrieving that in super adulthood. So you're going in both directions at the same time and it completes the humanity. That's what mindfulness can deliver. So we think of the word powers training as analogous. There are going to be some techniques like name, frame, aim, claim, <laughs> and so forth. We can talk about what those mean. Those are techniques. There are many other techniques that people might have. All those great suggestions that communication gurus talk about, those all can be techniques, actually. And so you organize your word power technique set just like you organize your mindfulness technique set. And you actually have a training structure with that. And we're going to say that these techniques develop certain core mental clarity and evidence power. And what I'm hoping is that just like I was able to dimensionalize the mindfulness into concentration, clarity, equanimity, I'm thinking I might be able to get the communication skill down to just three skills. But the problem is, I can say the names of the three skills now, but first of all, I might change it next week. <laughs> but secondly, <laughs> it will take me quite a while to explain what the skills are, actually. And I don't know that we'd want to go into that much detail, especially since I might change it. But the three skills, so we have on the mindfulness side, concentration, clarity, equanimity. And on the word side, I'm thinking the three skills are say what you mean, say what they mean, and say what everyone means. But those are highly technical terms. Don't think you understand what those three phrases mean just by the words themselves. They don't quite mean what they sound like they mean. But basically, it's my reworking of Hegelian dialectics. But it's much more sophisticated than thesis, antithesis, synthesis. It's not that, but it's a little bit like that. <laughs> So, you know, tell the first story, tell the other story, now tell the other story to those two stories. And we're going to define those and give you all sorts of exercises in doing that, and then let you apply that to enhancing your conditional happiness, particularly. See, the concentration, clarity, equanimity, pure mindfulness skills, they work for everything, but they work particularly well for unconditional happiness, the really deep stuff, the stuff that works when nothing else works. The communication skills, they work for everything too. But I'm thinking they're a little more directly related to what most people are concerned about. If you're a parent or a kid, you want to do well in school. And if you're not a parent or a kid, you still may have subjects, topics you'd like to know intellectually. So we'll show you how to apply your techniques to 
some academic interest for you or, as I say, your children, or, you know, arts, culture, that kind of thing. We can, of course, enhance our appreciation through how we focus on the aesthetic experience, but we can also enhance our appreciation by the depth with which we can discuss culture, literature, arts, performing, plastic, and broadly, you know, cross-cultural things, so forth. So you'll actually get some chance applying your communication skills to enhancing your appreciation of your own culture or someone else's culture. And of course, we can use the cosmopolitan nature of the internet to capitalize on this cultural meeting place. And then there's, well, how about your story, your personal story or stories? We can use these skills to help you understand yourself at a personal level. We're not psychotherapists, but that's an area where the same word power, I mean, there's even the term in psychology, alexithymia. <laughs> it's bad. They don't know how to treat it. But it literally means this person has no words for what they feel. <laughs> alexithymia. Well, we'll give you words to talk about yourself, and we will certainly show you that you have a body that feels. The mindfulness will do that part. And then, last but certainly not least, contention. Who's going to win? The better angels of our being or something else? And little hard sometimes to know for sure if you're really on the side of the better angels. So, there's going to be disagreements. And we have seen that technology makes human disagreements very scary. Not just because of the weapons and the other shit that can come, but also because of the enhanced distortion that apparently the media, particularly the internet aspect, produces as a byproduct. How serious is this going to be moving forward? Is this just a little thing and we'll get over it? It's like the Wild West. Okay, there was some crazy shit, but, you know, it's part of the civilized world now. Is it going to be like that? This is a tar pit of negativity that the planet can't crawl out of. So, to get people talking deeply about areas of disagreement and then have that be present for the world to gradually realize, oh, this is the direction. And then with the AI and the neuromodulation that sure can be used to fuck people, but can also be used to unfuck them. We want to make sure that at the beginning of the neuro and AI revolution, it ain't hit yet. This is at the beginning of where it's like, oh my God, we're changing fast. If there's already an established momentum of the sound of deep people communicating, world has seen it, then it's grandfathered in and the technologies will support it. And that's the best that I can come up with as a plan. And I'm going to say it's like mindfulness practice. 
you could get results very quickly. This could make a big difference in 10 years. But basically, it's a long-term thing. So just to complete the metaphor between the two kinds of skill training, on the mindfulness side, we work in enlightenment or awakening by calling it understanding yourself at the deepest level. (laughs) That normalizes it. If you call it enlightenment or awakening, then people develop cravings and fears and comparisons and what have you. So, But we have to talk about enlightenment, liberation, awakening, because it's an important part of the deal. (laughs) So that's how we talk about it. So we say that one of the dimensions of happiness is to understand yourself at all levels. One level of understanding yourself is through personal introspection. Now, learning to tell your own story, that will help you with that level. But then we also say that you can understand yourself perhaps at a deeper level by working with a therapist, a competent counselor or you know, psychiatrist, psychologist, what have you, they can help you understand yourself, perhaps in ways that would go beyond just your personal introspection. But once again, the ability to tell your story is going to be relevant. Then we say at a deeper level, you can understand yourself as a sensory system. That's the untangle and be free paradigm of Theravada. You break the grasping around the five aggregates, first untangle them, and then sort of get rid of the stickiness. (laughs) So that's our way of presenting the early Buddhist paradigm for, call it what you want, awakening, or what have you. And then we talk about the deepest level, finding a kind of primordial perfection, something that was always there that you didn't realize was there. Now, that's more of a Zen or Chan approach to things. So, to complete the metaphor, the idea would be in the communication training that we would have techniques. You'd have your own technique set. We'd have certain standard ones, but just like we let you use any meditation technique that you like, we'd let you use any self-help kinds of communication techniques that you might get from a book or off the internet or discover on your own. Sure, put that into your bag of techniques, and then we're going to show you how to organize your communication techniques to work in concert with your attentional techniques. And... As the result of that, you will develop these core skills. (laughs) Tell the first story, tell the second story, (laughs) tell the third story. (laughs) Now, as I said, to complete the analogy, a kind of romantic view of spiritual practice is that there's this thing called enlightenment, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that could either be thought of as it's out there and you can go get it, so it's a quest, or it's always in there (laughs) and 
All you need to do is notice, which is the call off the search. <laughs> so a very deep view of attention training is that there was always something there, a power that was available, but you just didn't quite know what direction to look. And now you do, and that's the romantic view. <laughs> the pragmatic or practical view is, we're just going to make you happy. <laughs> you name it, <laughs> relief, fulfillment, insight, changing behavior, whatever it is you want, we're going to just make you happy. It's just practical. But there's also this sort of romantic view. And, okay, let's give the romantic view of the power of the word. I suspect, but I don't know for sure, it's an area of investigation. As the gift of biological evolution, I suspect that there is enormous humanly positive power in the grammatical and syntactic and semantic and even phonological structures of language that is sort of hidden in there. And the idea would be that the communication training would reveal to people a hidden power in the word that no one has quite noticed yet, and that the ability to access that hidden power is eminently trainable and would work in a cross-potentiation with the mindfulness skills that we are already quite confident we know how to teach. So that's also making me excited. Well, I can't wait to hear more as this system evolves and unfolds and becomes ever more clear in your expression. It just sounds really, really interesting. Well, this is the update as of this morning. You are the second person to hear these ideas. <laughs> and whoever's listening is however many <laughs> degrees of separation. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Shinzen. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. That's a ditto, Michael.